if you want to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 103. And while you're getting there, I want to read Psalm 104, verse 1. So you turn to Psalm 103 and listen, do two things at once. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed in glory and majesty. As we read through Psalm 103 now, it's important that we understand that we know that as we come to God, as we come to God in his word, as we open it up, and as we are challenged, as things are said, as things are read that are challenging to us, that we might have a different perspective or understanding on, that we need to view it all, we need to read it all for who God is. Not any preference that I have or anything else, but we open it up and remember who God is. So that's why I've just read that verse, and I'm going to read through a few verses here in Psalm 103. So that as we continue on, that we see all of this, that you're refreshed in who God is, the ways, the acts of God, so that he is the testimony, the reckoning, the gauge in our life as we go forward. So Psalm 103, I'm going to read 14 verses to you. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. What are they? Who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things. Why? So that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgression from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. So, verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens. He and his sovereignty rules over all. Now remember, as you read the word God, capital G-O-D, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, predominantly in the Old Testament, he's talking about our almighty, powerful God. So here when we read that, he is sovereign, saying our almighty, powerful God. In all of who he is, he is sovereign. It's his throne that he that he set up. Why do that? As I've said, because as we go in, as we talk, some of the things that we're going to talk about may challenge you in your perspective, may challenge you in some of the experiences you may have. When I, um, many times, and as you've heard it through many speakers, when you stand up here, often in the journey, when you're preparing over the several weeks or months, Things come along and God challenges you on what your perceptions, what you thought was correct. And it's been no different for me in this journey. There's been some things that I've come across and thought, oh, I was wrong. I was very clearly wrong. There are other things that come along and thought, oh, I didn't realise that. And there's some things that just about God that he reveals to you that's just wow, wow. You're just gobsmacked. You don't know how to express anything about it because God is almighty. He is who he he says. So as we go through this, there's a number of things that for me personally, as I've said, that were challenging to me. I had to change my thought pattern, my beliefs, my theology. No doubt there may be some things for some of you as we go through. So what we're going to do as much as humanly possible we're going to keep the opinion out of it and we're going to read a lot of scripture because the job for me up here is to speak God 
to speak on God's behalf. And so the best way I can do it is read his word. Make a statement and read it. And we're going to, what we're going to go through today, why, the reason I've said all of that is where we're up to in our statement of faith is we're going to talk about Satan, who he is, what's he about, what's his relationship or dealings with us and how do we deal with him. So we're going to work through um, a few points and we're going to ask a few questions about things that are commonly said in church or in religious um, forums. So, just to help us focus, to get an understanding about life, Ephesians 6, our focus, what is life about? What do we really hear and what's going on? Where do we need to focus? Ephesians 6 and verse 12, it says, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, i.e., it's not about whether you sing louder than me or whether you have a new attractor. It doesn't count. It's not the main focus. But So our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So our focus, it's often easy in life, isn't it, to get all caught up. Yes, we've got to be good businessmen, we've got to be good mums, good dads, and that's all a part of honouring God. It's his calling of us. But our main focus in life, in all that God calls us to do, is that we honour him, that we represent him well, that we declare him truthfully. So let's um, go forward. And I'm going to first read the part that we have in the statement of faith about Satan. It says, We believe in the actual existence of Satan, that Satan is evil of heart and intent. He desires to deceive all with his lies and aims to turn the hearts and minds of humanity away from God. He opposes God, but he is ultimately subject to the purposes and will of God and is destined to be condemned and confined forever in the lake of fire. So, moving forward. So, who is Satan? What is his character? What is he about? To start off with, I'd like to read from John eight forty four. This is a, just one verse, and this is... One of the parts, just a bit of a snapshot of Jesus talking. He's talking to some fellow countrymen, some Jews around him who are hassling him, following him around, giving him a hard time. And this is what he, his reply to them. And in it, he gives a bit of information, a description of Satan, of the devil. So John 8:44, he says, You're of your father, the devil. Pretty harsh. And you want to do the desires of your father, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So in this, Jesus has said that Satan is a murderer. He's been a murderer from the beginning. In him there is no truth. If you remember a few weeks ago, what last time I spoke, Derek was back here. And do you remember the, what he, uh, he paraphrased a verse? He, he, he spoke about in Second Corinthians about how Satan comes as an angel of light. As a, as not that he is, he comes as. So he is a deceiver. And as Christ is telling us here, all that comes out of him, out of Satan, is a lie. He is a deceiver. If you remember, a few times, three times now, I've bought a bag of dog muck and used it as an illustration and spoke about how profitless it is and how the last time I said I heard that scientists have found out it's not even worth throwing on your um, compost heap because it will actually decrease the value of that and make that useless. Me and my understanding and my appreciation of Satan get after going through, I would put him right in the bag with it. I don't mean that as humour or silly, but... Just looking at his character, looking at his ways. And as, you, as we go through, you'll see so like some of his names and the, re, the meaning of some of his names. It is very revealing, revealing. Every single thing of him is opposed to God. There is nothing good in him. So what do we do? Romans, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 5.8. 1 Peter 5.8. Be of a sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, 
seeking someone to devour. So it's not that he is a lion. He's, he's just all pretense, all pretending. We sung before and it's declared in scripture, our saviour, our God is the lion. But this, the devil, he comes along pretending to be someone that he's not. And as Christ, as we read there, Christ rightly said of him, he spoke in truth that the devil is just always lies. He just speaks lies. He speaks nothing else but to sow deceit and division and disunity to destroy. So in this it says, be of sober spirit. In other words, have your mind and your thinking clear before God. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So let's talk a little bit about his character, how he operates, where he's come from. Well, if you were to read in 1 John 3 or Colossians 1.16 and many other passages, you'll find, and it says, that God, through Christ, created everything. Nothing is coming to being that exists. So Satan, and if you continue reading through Scripture, you'll find that he was a created being. He was created as an angel. All angels were created to serve and worship God. If you were to read in, you'd find that in Nehemiah 9.6 and also Psalm 103. A little bit of that I'll read later. But they were created to worship and serve God. That was their whole task. That was their purpose of their creation. And they were subject to the will and sovereignty of God like everybody is, whether you're a human, an animal, any part of creation. But Satan, as an angel, he was created sinless, but yet he chose to rebel against God, we read in Scripture. He chose to go against God. He put himself up to be someone great, and he still does. But yet, he's no one compared to God. Of God, as we remember back of who God is, God is omnipotent. In other words, he's, there is no limit to his power. He's omnipresent. He, God is everywhere at once. We can read a testimony of that in Psalm 139. He's all-knowing, God is, but Satan isn't. He is limited. Satan is limited. He can only be in one person, I say one person, one place at one time. He can only have the power that God allows him to have, and we'll come across that later. He doesn't know everything. He's limited in his understanding. He is a counterfeit. And as we said before, in 2 Corinthians 11, 14, as Derek called out a few weeks ago, there comes being a deceiver as an angel of light, but he's not. As we read before in 1 Peter 5, 8, he is a destroyer. He comes seeking someone to devour. So as you, we read, as we've gone through, and some of the bits I've mentioned, we see that Satan, he is a liar. He is a murderer. He is a deceiver, a destroyer. He is the accuser. He is a tempter. He is our adversary. He is the enemy of God. These are his characteristics. These are his ways. Satan is evil of, of heart and intent. That's who he is. That's his makeup. There is no good in him. He desires to deceive all with his lies and aims to turn the hearts and minds of all humanity away from God. He opposes God, but as already said, he's ultimately subject to the will and purpose of God. So one of the ways we also learn about Satan, learn a bit more about him, are some of the titles that we find in Scripture, some of the names that are given to him. But first off, one of the things I learnt is that Lucifer is not one of his names. Lucifer is not one of his names. With the Latin Vulgate, when that translation came in around about the 4th century, the, word, the Latin word there in Isaiah, where you'll read about where it's taken from, you'll actually read there that is the morning star. And the Latin word there for that is Lucifer, or we've anglicised it now. And so it slowly crept into church th um, discussions, theology, and lingo as if that was his name, but it's not. 
Lucifer means shining one in Latin. And, so, and there's other words in our English Bible that one day maybe we'll get to that we'll talk about that are also the same. They don't represent correctly the word that's there behind it. So if you read through Isaiah 14, do it maybe for homework later through the week. You will see, you'll see, you will see as you work through that all the way through it's talking about the Babylonian king, how great he was, how great he thought he was. So that's one thing that sort of sat me back for a little bit when I was, I was thinking, you know, we, a part of it is we sort of half lift Satan up. We say, oh, he was a great morning star. No, Lucifer is the Latin name for the morning star, the morning shining. But let's talk, to the, talk about now about the names that are there, that are true of him, the titles. In Matthew 12, 24, I'm just going to go quickly through this. It talks about him being the ruler of the demons. In 2 Corinthians 4, it talks about him being the God, little g, that is, the God of this world. Matthew 4, he's called both the devil and the accuser. In Ephesians 2, he's talked, referenced as the prince of the power of the air. In 1 Peter 5, 8, if, um, as we've read twice, he's referenced as a roaring lion, like a roaring lion. In Genesis and many times on from there, right through to Revelation, he's called the serpent. Job 1, he's referenced as the adversary. Matthew 4, 3, he's the tempter. Matthew 12, and Will likes this one, Beelzebub, he's the lord of the flies. That means Beelzebub. That's what it means, he's the lord of the flies. It's not a book title, it's an identity of Satan. Another one in 2 Corinthians 6.15, Belial. This also has an interesting mean, meaning. It means one who is opposed to God and man. One who is opposed to God and man. And it's one who seeds lewdness, profanity, and all the disgusting stuff of sin. You can't get a better title for Satan. Matthew 13, he's referred to as the wicked one. I'd like to read you now two verses from Revelation. The first one's from Revelation 20. Revelation 20 and verse 2, it says, And he laid, he here is God, and this is in the end times, it says, And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Not only does this tell us of his names, but tells us a little bit about God's control over him too. Revelation 12.9, it says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that, that is the serpent of old, who is called the devil, Satan, who deceives the whole world, who was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So there is no, nothing good, not even in any of his titles, his names, right there along with his character descriptions that we've gone through so far. Think about, to start off with, when, we, when I read um, Psalm 104 and we went back and we then read through Psalm 103, who God is, our almighty God, our holy and righteous God. When you think that God could have left us to the ways of our own sinful flesh and to the mercy of Satan, isn't it worth appreciating a bit more how great God is. That's one of the things that just hit me as I was going through and studying this. God could have just left us. We deserve that. We made the mess. He could have left us in it. But he didn't. He didn't leave us. He's given himself to us to strengthen us, to guide us. So what about more personally for you and I as believers? How does Satan interact with us? How do we deal with it? What do we do about it for who he is? So if this is his character that we've talked about and these ways, how will he endeavour to deceive me? How will he endeavour to break my relationship with God? How will he endeavour to cause me to not glorify God but to dishonour him? Well, Scripture. 1 John 2.16 1 John 2.16, I like if you have your book, please do turn to this because we're going to, I'm going to, over the next about 15 minutes, we're going to use this verse a lot. 
1 John 2.16. You got it? Yep, good. So it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not of the Father, it is from the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The reason this is here and it's presented in other ways throughout scripture is these are the three common ways that in our flesh, who we are, in my natural self, that I, where I will fall. And these are the same areas where Satan has, does and will try to attack. They're the common ways, whether he takes away in that area. For example, use me up here speaking now, whether he might try to use something physical around to take me out of been able to do this and then hurt my pride through that way or whatever or given me a position or allowing me to be lifted up and or even get arrogant in my own self-worth or something like that so he he does it in a taking and a giving way with each of these so what we're going to do these three good examples in scripture that we can learn from no point if we just read it and think yeah that's great but all of scripture is profitable so let's just here and now we'll consider two of them and just remember that Satan loves to feed the flesh your sinful nature that's his key way we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 3 this is a classic example and if I say anything today and you don't agree I don't mind if you, at the end of a sentence, if you actually put up your hand and ask where I got it from or why am I saying that. Or if you want to come to me afterwards, that's okay too. But Genesis chapter 3, we're going to read about what's commonly called the fall. Genesis chapter 3, 1 to 8, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said... You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to her eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. So I want to go back now, and I want to, here, this here, I want to use 1 John 2.16. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And see here, it's here clearly in it, the way that Satan likes to work. The three areas he'll try endeavour to trip you up. So where is the lust of the flesh? Well, let's go to verse 6. It's all in verse 6. Because here's the, the woman Eve's response. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food... That's where she started to lust in her flesh. Whoa. I wouldn't mind that Big Mac that I've just seen on TV. Whoa. I know I'm not meant to have it. It's going to make me unhealthy and sick, but yeah, I'm going to get that. That's the sort of thing she was doing. She knew it wasn't good, but yet she, thought it, she saw it as good for food. She'd been persuaded by Satan. Then as she continue on, she said... And, uh, sorry, and it says, and it was a delight to her eyes. Wow. That's pretty cool, eh? I can have it. That's amazing. I sent a text yesterday to Bruce. It's of a Monaro. It's about 1,100 horsepower motor in it. And it's just amazing. She goes, wow. But I think Eve was a little bit more than that. I think even though Bruce thought wow and his response back was similar but yet he wasn't at the point of Eve where Eve was going wow I've just got to have that that's mine so it's a lust of the flesh 
God had told her it wasn't good for her, but yet she, she listened to Satan and, yeah, that's going to be good for me. I can reason that this is good for me. The lust of the eyes, wow, that looks pretty neat. That looks good. That looks just so delicious. I'm going to have it. And the pride of life. What's, what then happens? What's the next thing? It says, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She wasn't really going to become wise. She'd believe the lie of Satan. So here's this 1, 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. It's just been illustrated here to us. As time's getting away, I won't do the second illustration, but I will reference a little bit, is the one of Job. Here to Eve, Satan was putting stuff before, putting stuff before her, putting stuff before her. To, with Job, he took it away. He took it away. He took it away in these areas to try and get him to, to speak against God, to get him to curse God. But Job didn't. So let's now talk to, uh, turn to Jesus. Okay, in Matthew 4. We used to have a poster on the wall. Mum and Dad did in the dining room, on the east wall of the dining room. And it's of a, an old header. It must have been in Europe, an old New Holland header. It had open cab, no cab, just the seat, a bit like the old sort of 60, 70 style header. And it had about 12 foot front on it, an amazing crop. But the verse there was, Matthew 4.4 4. Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What comes from God counts. What God comes from God counts. So we're going to read through here from Matthew 4. We're going to read through about 11 verses. And this is when Jesus has just been baptised and then with the Holy Spirit he's, he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting and seeking and spending time with the Father. And after the 40 days, Satan turns up. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. He was focused on the spiritual, not the temporal. One, he's only hungry after 40 days. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God knew here, God the Son, knew his own words. It's from Deuteronomy 8.3. Verse 5, Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you, bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, All these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. All the way through, it was on the solid word of God. We cannot stand against the devil in and of ourselves. Me as a man here, I cannot. But it's only through Christ, the power of God in me, that I can have any hope in life. If you look at these verses at this passage, he did the same thing here, Satan did with Jesus. He tried to talk, get and talk about his physical inner desires. He tried to talk about what he could see. Wow, all these kingdoms, aren't they good? Come on, just bow down and they're yours. Huh, he knew they were already his. And there's also that pride bit that he would be lifted up. But Jesus knew that he was already glorified. That he was already lifted up. 
all the way through, he keeps going back and quoting scripture, relying on the word of God because they are God-breathed. Not that these words are magical, but it is God because God has said them and because you and I have God in us. God works through us. He enables us. He strengthens us to stand strong. So before we get to how we stand strong and what God says in his words, I want to go through five questions. I want to ask you five questions about things that are commonly said about Satan. So we looked at his character. He's, to me, he needs to belong in the, that plastic bag with the dog mark. And it's written in his name. It's written in his character. It's written in his titles. The Satan, devil, he's not worth a thing. And he's going to be eternally punished. He's already eternally damned. So as we go forward, as we remember who God is, as we remember that God is our reference, he's in us. He speaks to our mind. He also speaks to us through his word. Let's continue to use that as our focus as we go through. I'm going to ask you five questions. And you don't have to answer them, but at least consider them. So the first one is, therefore, does all evil come from Satan? Does all evil come from Satan? Can we just say it's all his fault? Blame him? No. Let's read scripture. He might be evil. Well, not might, he is. And he does try to trip us up. He does deceive us. And also demons. But let's read scripture. It's scripture that counts. It's God's word that counts. Romans 5 verse 12. And see what this says about sin, where it's come from. Wherefore, as by one man, so this is Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. I'll read that again. As by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. This is what God says is the truth. You've heard it. You've read it now in your own Bible. So to answer the question, does all evil come from Satan? No. Particularly through the New Testament, you'll see the word flesh referring to our sinful nature. We choose. Let, but let's keep reading here. So Romans 5, I just read verse 12, but I'm going to skip to verse 15. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, 17. For if by one man's offence death reigned by one man, much more they which receive the abundant grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by the one Jesus Christ. That's talking about Christ. It's talking about our salvation. So even though sin came into the world, the glory the amazing part about God, he didn't leave us to the device of our own flesh to Satan, as we spoke about earlier. But he provided salvation if we will simply accept it. There is freedom from our flesh. There is freedom from the guilt, the debt of sin, of being the enemy of God. It's also demonstrated, if, as we read through um, Genesis 3, that the evil didn't come from Satan. Adam and Eve chose to sin. In Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And as you continue on through the, through the epistles, you read such as in um, 1 John 2, it says, for, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, it's not from the Father, but is of the world. These are the things we do, aren't they? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They're not of God. They're all going to pass away. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Also, if you were to read it through James 4, you'll, you'll see that the quarrels and the when we get our back up about, about stuff and have disunifying thoughts, they're our thoughts. We choose to go there. So the next question 
Can he make a believer sin? Can Satan make a believer sin? Can he? Because sometimes you hear people say, the devil made me do it. It's not true if you take in context some of the verses that we've already just read. And if we also read this one, think about this. 1 John 5, 18, it says, we know that no one who is born of God sins. And that's what it's meaning there is to choose to continually want to be in a sinful habit. But he who is born of God, God keeps him. And the evil one can, uh, does not touch him. So God, the word keep there is referring to that God is watchful and guards us. The word touch there is to exert with a, with a modifying influence. So it's saying here God keeps you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and the evil one does not touch you. And it's indef- definitely not God who causes you to sin. With our current journey, we have no right to be angry at God. In James 1.13 it says, Let no man say when he is tempted, and now remember in James 1 it's talk- talking about in the context of going through hard times, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. Because God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away in his own lusts and enticed. And then, when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So it's our own mental and physical process that we go along that causes us to sin. We can't blame the devil. We can't blame God. I can't blame any of you. So the third question Does he know my thoughts? Does he know my thoughts? For context, I'm going to read a couple of verses before it, but 1 Kings 8.37 is one of them. 1 Kings 8.37 through to 39, it says, If there is a famine in the land, if there is pestilence, if there is a blight or mildew, so this is talking to, to the Jewish nation in their context of their covenant with God, mildew, locusts or, gra- or grasshoppers, if their enemy besieges them in the land of their, of their cities, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer or supplication is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and spread his hands toward this house. Verse 39, Then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive the act and render to each according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you and he, you here is God, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men. Only God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are only the ones who know our thoughts. And that is echoed in Psalm 139, such as in verse 4 it says, Even before there is a, a word on your tongue, sorry, a word on my tongue, O Lord, you know it all. And if, as you go through the Gospels, there's a numerous times where it says, and Jesus knowing their intent, or Jesus knowing their thoughts. God knows, and that's a great thing, because he can guide us. He, can, he is that step. He's that eternity ahead of us. He knows where we're heading. And so he can guide us. He can put the information, the thoughts, the people in our minds, the resources to keep us guided in a life that honours him. And that's a great thing about God. He's intimate personally with each of us. He knows that you're getting weary now and wish that I would finish. No, he knows all of your thoughts. And I just wanted to mention, Alison said she was going to try and stay awake today and she's done well. <laughs> yes. No, it was a joke we had yesterday. I wasn't having a go at her out of turn. So the next question, can Satan put thoughts in a believer's mind does Satan sow thoughts in your mind this is one that's commonly heard through churches and in general conversation 
you're a bit quieter on this one. Can Satan put thoughts in a believer's mind? So to clarify, in a believer's mind. Where does temptation come from? Where I'm going to get to here, Satan's habit, his way, is to use the physical to damage your spiritual. He uses the physical to damage your spiritual. Go back to Genesis 3 as we read through. What did he do? He was there in the garden having an audible dialogue with Eve and Adam present. With Job, what did he mess with? To mess with his spiritual, his relationship with God, what did he mess with? He messed with his physical. He hurt, he took away his livestock. He took away his health. And then with Jesus, it was the same. He tried to use the physical to attack him in the spiritual. But let's, that's just referring back. So think, ponder about that. And I want to read, read through. And I want to challenge you on this one since you're quiet. Find two passages in, in principle and in precept that say he can put a thought in your mind, that clearly say it about a believer. There is none in Scripture. But yet what you will read in James 1.14, for example, and think back to some of the Scriptures we've already read about. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. The process is that it's my own thought pattern. Things around me, words, physical objects, might be happening, mightn't be there or are there against my personal desire. And that's what is used against to stumble me in my spiritual. So the next question, can Satan or a demon possess or take over a believer? Can a demon possess or take over a believer? Now we do definitely see it in scripture of those who are unsaved. Around the time of Jesus when he walked in the Gospels, we see it a lot, don't we? Sorry, we read a lot of it. There is a number of accounts of people in the community who were demon-possessed and he healed them of that. And sometimes some of the apostles did the disciples. So let's read scripture and to answer this question of can Satan or a demon possess or take over a believer? First Corinthians. So the one thing you've got to do with scripture, I meant to mention earlier, is keep reading. Never take just one verse to build your whole theology. A good way to do it is look at creation. Where is it in the principle at least in creation? Where do you see the occurrence of this sort of thing happening through the Old Testament? Where do you see it testified through the ministry of Christ? Where do you see the principles, the teaching, the precepts declared in the epistles? It's so important that we go through all of it so that we can build a solid foundation so that our theology is true to God. So in 1 Corinthians 3.16 it says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. So this is talking to believers. So understand the words, grasp the words that God intentionally puts here for us. You are the temple of God. Ownership. The Spirit of God dwells in you. God is in you in that temple. God is in me now, in you now, if you're a believer. And then he talks about if any man destroys the temple of God, so your body, not looking after it, or whichever way, God will destroy him. So you, as a temple of God, as a temple of the Holy Spirit, God doesn't mess about. God doesn't mess about. You are his. So let's continue. Keep that in mind. Let's continue going. Reading on, 1 Corinthians 6.19, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, 
and that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. We were purchased by the blood of Christ. We became his possession when our faith was placed in him. We are not our own. Now go back. Remember what I said about different places. You need to look through scripture and you can build a strong contextual theology. And you get a greater, more correct view of of God. And it says many times in the Old Testament, it says, for example, in Exodus 20, you shall not worship them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me or in Exodus 34:14 it says for you shall not worship any other god for the lord whose name is jealous is a jealous god so what does it mean here when we read jealous does it mean he's vindictive angry i'm going to get them no that's not how we think of the word there's no comparative word equivalent to the Hebrew word here. But what it means is that God is demanding exclusive ownership and service. He will not share us with anybody or anything. That's why he says we are to look after this temple. The last few weeks or months going up and down to Perth, I was saying to people yesterday, finding it hard, not working as much, you sit around and the, the weight comes on, so you've got to be more attentive. But God wants us to look after our body. It's not ours. It belongs to Christ. There's many references such as in um, 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. You'll find it talks about that we are his. We've been bought with a price. So if this is all of how it is, if Satan can only harm us when God allows, if Satan can only harm us when we believe his lies, How then should we respond? What do we do? These three words that God commonly uses when he talks about how we stand against the devil, that we be aware, those three words are submit, resist and stand. Submit, submit to God. James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. That means I'm struggling here, God. There was something King David was good at. I'm struggling here, God. Own up to it straight away. As soon as that thought starts to process in your brain, own up to it. I'm struggling here, God. I'm doing. I'm thinking wrong. Forgive me. Submit to God. Own up that it's God and His way. He is the holy and sovereign God. And what's the second half of that verse? So it says, "Submit yourselves therefore, therefore to God. Resist the devil." So resisting is done through submitting and going, walking through it with God. And he, that's the devil, will flee from you. Now, I wish I could do more, but time's running out and your stomach's rumbling like mine. So I'm going to quickly go through Ephesians 4 here. If, uh, sorry, 6. Ephesians 6 and verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord. Think about these words that God has placed here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armour of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armour of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armour of God. You can't do it slap happy. Take up the full armour of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm therefore, having girded your loins in truth. Wrap yourself in truth. Be smothered in truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Know who you are in here. Know who you are. It's God's righteousness imputed to you, credited to you. And having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Pursue God in your daily life, in prayer, on your knees, in his word, 
in praise, worship and adoration, in discussion. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So no, as Derek said, our faith is not just a wishful thinking. It is a reality. It is a fact. Know who you are. Continue to hold fast in faith of who God is and who he is major to be. And in finishing up, with all prayer, sorry, take and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. Don't try to do it without the Word of God, which is the Word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. That's, that's in unity with the Spirit. And with your view in mind, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. 1 John 4, 4. For you are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That pattern there in Ephesians 6 is the way that Christ operated. It is the way that Christ operated. His reliance, his focus. So Satan, what's his destiny? Revelation 20.10, it says, The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever. God? God is sovereign. There is nothing passive about God or about his work, about his ways, his acts. Psalm 103, it says in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within him, within me. Bless his holy name. If we were to skip down to verse 19, it says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and, he, and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his words, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, who serve him, doing his will. Bless the Lord, all... Sorry. Bless the Lord, all you works of his, in all the places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, I know I've gone over a little bit, but please... Pursue God for yourself. Don't let Sunday be your only feed because you won't, you're not as good as Christ. He could last 40 days and got hungry. You won't even last one day if you don't pursue God. It's the only way that you and I can stand strong for God and against temptation. God, I thank you for who you are. Lord, thank you that you are our God. Thank you that you equip us. Amen.